If you know this chant and you'd like to, welcome to join me together. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma samputasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato Sama Samputasa Namo Tasa Pagawato Arahato Sama Samputasa Putang Damang Sankang Namasami. So, my homage to our original teacher, the Blessed One, the Perfectly Awakened One, the Buddha, to all of the Dhamma teachings that are freeing and liberating and all of their expressions and non expressions throughout time and space, to every single member of the Holy and Noble Sangha, everyone who has awakened in the past, to all those who are in the process of awakening in the path, in the present, and to all those who will do so in the future throughout time and space, and especially to my own personal teachers and everyone and everything that has ever given me guidance on the path. It's all like form, <laughs> emptiness, <laughs> emptiness and form. <laughs> so, uh, I've been contemplating the earlier teaching on the the union of. Uh, essence and convention complementary nature now I've learned this as the union of the um, what is it the union of the uh, absolute and uh, the <laughs> yes yes uh, in our daily chanting we have a chant that goes something like um, Satang sapayan janang keola paripunang parisutang pramachariyang pakasesi. This is uh, reflecting upon the excellent qualities of the Buddha, and in this case, satang sapayan janang. Uh, this is translated as essence and convention. Uh, satang, in this case, uh, that would be like the essential, essential meaning or ultimate. Yes. Uh, Sata, of course, is the teacher, uh, and contains contains within within the word Atta is there, which is like the the essential meaning or the ultimate meaning. Um, and Sat also is like truth. Yeah. What is truly 
Oh, I don't know if it's right to say truly existent or not. I think the Buddha said he got beyond existent or, or non-existent at this, at this level. Yeah. Um, so then the sabha anjanang, uh, that means each and every. And we translate it as convention, but uh, the anja are all of the particulars. So it's all the particulars of things. So it's like the, uh, what is it, the, the essence and, and all of the particulars. And to my mind, this is interesting because it seems different in a way than, than what I think of as essence and convention, which I, I tend to think of as a kind of strict duality in a way like those two things are, are very different from each other. Uh, the essential and the, the conventional are like one is invisible and the other is visible or one is relative and the other is absolute or this kind of thing. But in this particular phrase that we translate as the essential and the conventional, then uh, the sata and the, uh, the, the anja, the, what is it, the, uh, the, the essence and the particulars, are, are not divided uh, in the same kind of way. It's actually one word that's been, that's been put together. And in this phrase, the Buddha is being praised for having, having set forth the holy life in its complete, uh, or the spiritual path and, and training um, in all of its perfection, in all of its purity, in both, uh, in both the essence and the particulars. You could say, anja are like the also like the the limbs. Uh, could be like the limbs or the branches or this kind of thing. So if you imagine a tree, even the the atta is often associated with the heartwood, and then you know then the, the tree. Like I'm looking out at the trees here right now. I know the the tree has its heartwood inside it, and uh, and then it has the sapwood, and then the bark and all the branches that are that are coming out. And those those branches would also be all of the all of the particulars. So you think about all the branches of knowledge or the the various you know appearances of um, the, all of all of the particulars. So I particularly like this because uh, the way of the way that it's expressed in the Pali and how it could be translated more literally uh, to me gives a very different kind of impression. It's like the the essence and all of its particulars, and it doesn't it doesn't make for any sense of, of duality, to my mind. It's just that like the essence is manifest in all of these, in all of these particulars in, in various ways according to conditions, you know, according, to, according to circumstances, yes. So uh, during lunchtime then, uh, considering this teaching, then you know, with mindfulness of the body, eating, closing the eyes, and uh, looking, at the, looking at the food, this chewing, yes, looking closely at that with mindfulness of the body and the, the kind of eye of insight that develops with looking very closely and, and carefully into the body. It's like, you know, like looking at this, uh, what is it, the... the What's it called? Not concrete? Fuzz wall. <laughs> Looking at the fuzz wall. And it, it's like the, the things are, are breaking up 
in this space and there are the elemental qualities and and there's this you know bursting of energy as there's these these big grinders are coming down and crushing and breaking open these molecules and particles and these incredible bursts of energy going on and within the energy it's like the 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 atoms and there's the space within them and then this energy is transforming so there's energy even going in you know assimilatable energy even going in right within the mouth right right there and like feeling that going in and how quickly within you know within a second or two then you start to feel you know feel that transformation of energy and the body gaining energy from it not to mention as it's progressing progressing down further and what was form is being then i mean of course it's just packages of energy right just various packages of energy that are then being being broken open and um, and with by by a various chemical chemical reactions then the energy is then moving and transforming and um, and coming into into different forms you know going into what is it uh, passing into the blood and and we then we feel that especially if someone eats only once a day if you've ever done this then it's like often if you eat only once a day the body starts to become cool in a way and uh, th- those processes like they they slow down they're not so active and when you do when you do eat I'm not sure if venerable children experienced this in her time in Thailand at, at Wat Map Jan or not um, but if if you're going out like that and if you're staying in the forest and, and you're going out and you go for alms round just once a day I found that the body would become quite cool and going out for alms and then then eating that that one meal then I really felt this process happening really really strongly you know if it's going on for much of your day then you hardly hardly notice it if you only have if your stomach never does become empty and the process never does really calm then it's it's not so noticeable but if it has and you haven't eaten for a while and you eat something and you're mindful then it's such a such a powerful experience of this transformation of uh, of energy yes uh, and then spreading spreading through the body and this is one place for me in in looking with via via the eye that's developed with working with mindfulness of the body and developing the the eye of insight as for us like there was a question about novice training earlier and uh, or at the time of shaving the head then we learn this hair of the head hair of the body nails teeth and skin basic basic bodily um, meditation yes which connects to the the elements and if you meditate on this deeply and you start to really look into what's there you start to see the difference between what you thought it was and what you had thought it was what you've thought of as hair your your entire life and then you looking into it carefully it starts to look very different <laughs> very very different uh, not to mention you know the nails the teeth the skin all of all of that and you develop this eye to look look into this this phenomena very very closely and carefully and starting with that then you you go through the entire body and then also you apply that to breath in the process of respiration and seeing the process of breath not only not only you know as it's coming in through the nose or the mouth but the entire body of breath if we look at the the Mahasatipatthana Sutang 
and uh, the, the greater discourse on uh, establishing the foundations of mindfulness then it mentions like the you know the, the whole body of breath the whole breath body yes and you start to then see some people have their first real insight of non-self you're right there with that, with this first meditation, with, with looking at the, you know, just looking at the, the hair of the head, and it's often in association with, as it's in association with the cutting of the hair, then you know, then you've got what, what was, what you thought was you, and one of the main status symbols of, <laughs> of our, our, our humanity is whether you have long, short, long hair or short hair or curly hair or, you know, what is it, uh, gray hair or black hair or blonde hair or uh, whatever it may be and whether you're having a good hair day or a bad hair day and all of that and then it's sitting there and if this were to be like Thai style then it's sitting there, all this, this cut hair is sitting there on a golden tray. <laughs> How lovely. <laughs> and we make an offering to the Buddha of that. <laughs> and, you know, well, why, why is it lovely? <laughs> if you've looked at it on the barbershop floor and then it's like sweeping up and uh, also for, for all of you who've had, uh, I think probably everyone has cleaned a bathroom in their life and, you know, hair and skin. And you look at the hair and skin there and it's coming up on the sponge or the cloth and you're rinsing it out and you think it makes the water dirty. Is the water clean or is it dirty? If it's full of hair and skin, what is it? Of course it's relative. That's relative, right? It's a relative truth, whether it's clean or, or dirty. Um, but this is the thing. Is there really a difference between, between these things? We think, okay, freshly showered, just shampooed, all scrubbed up nicely, all the other stuff is in the bottom of the bathtub, <laughs> and going down, going down the drain, what is me is now in the septic system, <laughs> or in the leach field, or uh, wherever, wherever it may be in its, uh, in its process. Um, or like at our hermitage, maybe it's just gone to the forest floor and you know, just p part of earth and becoming part of part of trees and like that right away and just look and, and if you looked at it if someone didn't know that just say that was forced and, but if you thought your hair and skin was you you have to say no that's me right I am forest forest am I <laughs> but that interchange is happening happening all of the time and so you know cutting cutting the nails we can put them on the, the golden tray also uh, normally we don't don't put the skin there too, but we think the earliest Buddhist stupa, then after the Buddha's awakening, when he was met by these two traders from the kind of Taxila area, then you know they they're said to have gotten gotten clippings of his of his hair and of his nails, and then gone and built a great stupa there. And you know this is something to be something to be worshipped. <laughs> I think hair and nails. <laughs> so how quickly our mind can change. How quickly our mind can change between this is something lovely and holy, and you know this is this is part of the, the rupakaya and representative of we're hearing the stupa is representative. I heard earlier on stupa is representative of the mind of the Buddha. Yeah, I had always thought of it as the the body of the of the Buddha, but here I heard today of the mind of the Buddha, and you know if inside the stupa there's this this sacred space, and inside there's the hair and the nails. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
and what we would normally flush down the train and and you know put or put down the put down the toilet or in the trash can or or this kind of thing and so it's like between what's pure and what's you know what's what's defiled what's what's clean and what's dirty you know the very when you're taking the shower and you're getting clean and that's the dirty stuff going down you know. <laughs> But the line between these things starts to disappear when you look very closely. This is the very beautiful thing that I find about really strongly, strongly developing the foundations of mindfulness. Because when you look at the things very closely, then it's like the boundaries between everything disappears, the boundary between form and emptiness disappears, the things start to look all like, you know, like for the Vipassana meditators often starting to see the very fine, I don't know, like atomic particles or subatomic particles called kalapas, fine, 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 you know, little, little tiny, tiny bits and uh, energetic waves. And we could, we could debate whether particle theory or wave theory, you know, with the Vipassana meditators, which is, which is more ultimate. (laughs) Um, And then there's the space where those things aren't. Because looking even more closely, it looks like all matter is made up of these things, but very, very closely than the space. The space is far greater than the matter. And what belongs to us and what doesn't becomes completely irrelevant at that point. doesn't look like, you know, that's, that's not, not, not what's seen at that point. And yet... It's the very same body, the very same space, the, the very same, same everything, yes? So just, just adjusting the lens of our perception just a little bit, and um, it all starts to look very different. But you might say, that's just a different perspective on form. What about emptiness? Some people mention like that, yes? I don't know if anyone here would have would have that kind of thought or not. Because empty of what? And looking from that perspective, you know, the, the ideas of uh, the what is it, individuation of of a self with regards form don't don't really you know don't really take hold, don't don't really manifest at that point. Uh, seems empty, yes, empty of self, at least, as has been being said so very often, empty of any individual nature on its own, any any ultimate existence on its own side. I don't know if I'm quoting that correctly or not, but I've been hearing quite a bit of this and, and reading quite a bit of it lately, and not that that doesn't uh, appear in the in the polytexts as well, but all the more so when one shifts one's one's attention to feelings. How much the more so? Feelings seem, I don't know. Do feelings ever seem solid to you? really solid and like solidly existing as something very, very solid and real. To me, they have sometimes, certainly, especially associated with the body. It's like feeling of being blocked. You know, whether, whether, and I know some people say they get like blocked in their head or, or blocked in their chest or blocked in their stomach. 
you know, that feeling of 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 blockage, which is a kind of dukkha vedana, kind of you know, painful, uncomfortable, uh, quite uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, and yet if we take this same eye and we look into that, for those who have done that, does it actually seem so solid? If you actually look at it, what's going on with it? Does it have? Have you ever noticed? Does it? Does it actually even continue in the same way from one moment to the next, as as closely as you can look in the body, or you know, just where are you? Where are you finding the feeling outside of the body? Even does it? Does it actually even from one moment to the next? Does it continue in the in the same way if you look at it closely? Now. I've spent some time looking at painful feeling, uh, particularly because uh, I've had what would normally be called chronic chronic back pain uh, since uh, injuring my back and neck and knee in a, a fall a few years back. And um, so I really felt like, you know, talking talking with uh, the doctor, uh, you know, how often do you have pain? Well, all the time. It's just, you know, whether it's less or whether it's more, just degrees of pain. Seems like pretty much there all the time. And uh, speaking with one of my meditation teachers, and then I was asked to look very, very closely at it. And I was, I was asked to report, you know, how long does the pain last? And exactly what is it like? And then, then to give report back on that and to look very carefully at it and see how, how long does it last in a particular way? And to, to observe that. So starting to look at it very closely with this eye to see how long does it last. And at first, before, before I really got into it, when I was just starting, it seemed like, to my great surprise, it seemed like it could last a couple of minutes which isn't, isn't at all what I thought. I thought it was lasting and for hours, and I was sitting in the meditation hall, and it's like this pain is going on and on and on and on, and it's there from the beginning of the sitting time till, till the end of the sitting time, and it's just going on, and, and then it's there when walking, and then it's there when lying down, and you know, just different, maybe a, a little bit of different variety or placement or this kind of thing, but when I started to look at it in that kind of way, even before really getting into it. Yeah, it's just like just starting to look at it. Then I was very surprised to find that it didn't seem to even last in any kind of identifiably similar way for even more than a minute or two, which is a great shock to me because I had really believed that it was lasting quite strongly from the beginning till the end of this period of sitting, which is like about an hour, yeah? And uh, how how different uh, just just that itself brought about a big shift for me because I had this concept in my mind that there's this this constant, constant ongoing pain that I'm struggling with from the beginning till the end of the, the sitting time. And yet, even one time looking at it like that, then so short. And then I started to look at it more closely and more carefully and then found that it wouldn't even last for one minute in the same kind of way and looking at it more closely that it's like, you know, fractions, fractions of a second, it's changing and, and, and then looking at it more closely and then it doesn't even look or feel like pain anymore and it's not even identifiable, it's like this, you know, atomic, atomic energetic, you know, fluctuation and there's, there's so much space there and, and so then I was asked to try to zero in, zero in on any point 
of pain, you know, where, where I felt that painful, painful place was and take that as an object of concentration and then to, to zero into it. And like looking into it, then it looks like there's this cluster, yes? And then looking into this cluster, then did you ever see these things in the ocean that are like, they're these kind of ocean plants that in the, in the waves are going like, like this, you know? Looking in and seeing these little kelp things like this, that are they are, uh, then with the, with the, with the mind of, uh, as, as I learned in this insight, uh, Vipassana practice, you know, the, the question, what is that? What am I seeing? What is that? Or even, it, I'm phrasing it actually differently than I learned it. Not what am I seeing, but what is being seen? <laughs> so we learn to phrase a little bit differently. Uh, so what, what is this? Yeah? And then the answer comes back to the knowing, to the jnana, uh, to the knowing, uh, which informs the, the eye of insight. Yes? These are the nerves. These are nerves. It's just these little just these little kelp things, you know, <laughs> and they're, they're alive, <laughs> and, and they're in, like the trees in the forest, not so much, um, actually at first it looks like the area of the forest that you haven't cleared, or maybe the, the neighbor's forest, when I was looking at it, it's like all really branched together and looks really thick like this, but then looking more closely starts to become like the area of the forest that you have cleared, and it's like you can really see these, these, these individual places, and even like you know, looking at the stump of the tree and looking inside and, oh, this is what it is inside and looking more closely and it's like, for the tree at least, I think, so much air, so much space, so much space is there, yeah? Looking into, looking into this also. And at that point when you see, when you see this, then something in the mind, like uh, one part one aspect of the grasping that was being talked about that um, makes things appear a particular way just like melts kind of like butter in the frying pan and heating it up and you know it has this form then it just melts yes um, but in this case supposing it were to melt and then it becomes liquid and then it becomes vapor and then it's like it just just sort of melts or, or dissolves and then it's like this is the this is the experience of this, but without that other thing, without that other thing, and this is what it feels like when that that other thing is not happening. Yeah. Um, so, like uh, carrying something very heavy, heavy pack. Now. At our hermitage, I do this every day. Pack up my backpack with the stuff and uh, my ergo backpack, and <laughs> put on the back brace, and got my sticks, <laughs> and and go down the steep hill to our our commons area and hike down. Yeah, and uh, while doing that, then I don't feel like I'm carrying something heavy. Mostly, if it's well well packed in, but when I take it off and put it down, then I feel the lightness. Yeah and uh, really feel the lightness and this reminds me of this same kind of experience because looking into things closely uh, in this kind of way with mindfulness uh, whether form or feelings or have you worked at looking at perceptions or sanya, sanya 
actually looking at perceptions as perceptions, just as perceptions, and perceptions just as perceptions. And if, we, if you think form seems amorphous at this point, or feelings seem amorphous, how much the more so? But perceptions can be very, also seem very, very solid, right? And can be held very tightly. You can get into arguments over various perceptions, whether within yourself. This is another place where I really like the like appearance of non-self, in a way. It's like, how many different ideas can one person have about one thing? <laughs> Say one of these paintings, <laughs> looking at it, and uh, what kind of various perceptions can be there? And even maybe you like it in one way and you don't like it in another way, and uh, this kind of thing. Yeah, it's just all, all various, all various perceptions. And someone says something, and one of them shifts, and then a whole bunch of them shift, and and it's you know so, so changeable, so changeable. And looking at perception also, zooming, zooming in on as a, a perception or an idea or a concept, just as that, and really, really looking at it carefully. And, you know what is it made of, and and then it's so. You know, the reason that we have to work so hard on these things is because there isn't anything really that actually holds them together. <laughs> and it, it takes a lot of effort to create the appearance <laughs> of, of there being such and the, the idea and like how much, how much binding has to go into it. I think about like our hands have the ability to, this is for grasping, yeah, the hands have the ability to be be directed and then to go and with five fingers like this and all of them working together in this coordinated effort to go and to to grasp this and to hold it and to be able to pick it up and like holding on to it like that and you know for for a perception and for there to be a sense of that being my idea or a concept that's related to me, how much of this this faculty and I, I think this faculty nothing wrong with this faculty um, if it's shaking a little bit maybe we say something's a little wrong with some some decay in the in the faculty but very perfect perfect in how it works perfect in in how it functions it's so much uh, is it so much of a process going into uh, going into making and and holding a concept or an idea or this kind of thing and looking at it and still it's in flux yes sankara samskara uh, looking at the process of fabrication um, physical fabrications those who've built things, those who've taken things apart, that's probably absolutely everybody here, I would think, in this type of monastery, uh, if not before entering, then during your time here. Uh, and the fabrication, the fabrication process in the mind, uh, fabrication of memory, fabrication of dreams, of ideas, of, uh, of so many kinds of things. If you looked at that, looked at that process closely and, and carefully, I would highly recommend it. <laughs>
I would really recommend it. Now, when I was uh, practicing with a sun or a kind of Zen Chan uh, tradition, uh, we didn't do a lot of analytical meditation. We did a kind of kind of concentration, strong concentration meditation. Not a lot of this kind of, uh, not directed to do a lot of this kind of analysis. I don't know, but I think the Tibetan tradition is really, really rich in, in these analytical exercises where you take things apart and put them back together again and you do so in different, different creative and constructive ways. This is one of the things that I re- had really liked actually in comparison between the type of meditation like Chan, Sun, Zen meditation that I had learned and what I found in, in Theravada Buddhism because I chanted over and over again this, what is it? Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, when practicing deeply, the transcendental wisdom of the Prajnaparamita perceives all five aggregates is empty and passes beyond all suffering and distress. Shariputra, form does not differ from emptiness. Emptiness does not differ from form. And um, like, like this, and so we're, we're chanting that and having that idea, but how to actually see that other than, you know, real like cracking open breaking open of of direct of direct insight which might happen sometime we're hoping that it's going to happen sometime from something yes but we didn't have this these exercises of actually like how to how to look at these five aggregates and how can you see them how can you how can you discover what the Buddha was speaking about as emptiness with regards to these five aggregates that we generally think of as composing self and and other. Yeah. I don't know if we counted uh, venerable children's aggregates and my aggregates, would that be five or ten? <laughs> 15, 20, 25. I heard one teacher say uh, to, uh, there was there was a monk in the in the group in the retreat teaching who was thinking of disrobing and going to get married, and uh, and the teacher, not identifying that specific person, uh, then then started teaching about the aggregates and mentioning, you know, how much you have, how much work you have with just five aggregates. Now somebody is thinking about thinking about if you get married, then you're going to have not only the stress of five aggregates, you're going to have ten aggregates. <laughs> and if you if you make new little bundles of aggregates, you're going to have <laughs> you're going to have fifteen and twenty of them. <laughs> uh, so kind of joking with everyone like that. Uh, so we have the whole whole group <laughs> group of aggregates here. Uh, but that's only only if there's uh, what is it? Only if there's uh, grasping and affliction with regards to the aggregates. So only if there's misapprehension with regards the the aggregates. Yeah. Uh, of course, I mean, for the physical body, it has its nature of instability and never going to be give any, what is it, permanent, real, lasting, lasting satisfaction in and of itself. And yet, when we're equanimous and when we're not grasping at the things, then, you know, that, that's just, it's just nature. It's just nature. It's just the nature of absolutely everything. We are not different. These bodies are not different than that. The patterns of all the aggregates are not different than that. Same kind of patterning is absolutely everything and indivisible. 
means there's no no absolute boundary, right? Looks like there we have the boundary of skin or boundary of clothes. Yeah, but so I mean it's it's breathing all of the time. It's it's inter interchanged and you know the water is coming in and out, the air is coming in and out, other substances are coming in and out as well. Um and so you don't really know no no line anywhere on on any of it. Yeah? All of it. And you know, then it takes away so much of the angst. This existential angst of feeling I am separate than the rest of the world. I and I and others are separate and different. And the kind of you know, the kind of sorrow, the kind of angst, the kind of loneliness that there can be in that, then all all of that just just dissolves. Yeah? And you know how for ideas and all of these things, you know how how transitory now, and there's still, of course, yes, that's an idea, and yes, can have a conversation, share ideas, you know our ideas are evolving together now at this at this moment, of course, and so it's like the these these different perceptions, whether of dukkha or whether of uh, anicca impermanence or whether of non-self in, in these kinds of regards, yeah, not, not more or less true in, in anything. Yeah? It doesn't make anything, anything dysfunctional. And this is where I see, at least in this statement that we, um, that we chant, uh, about the satang sabayanjanang um, means the essence and all of the all of the particulars, or or the essence and the conventions. You know, not being at disharmony, not being at odds, not being actually different than each other. Yeah, but just you know, what is it? We have we have eyes that can that can focus in, focus down, or can you know look out. Big and and broad, and a particular particular level of focus that I think some people, many people, maybe maybe living in, it's like getting stuck sometimes in that that level of focus. Then it seems very different. But looking more small, looking more deeply, or looking more vastly, there's another meditation teacher who taught this uh, exercise uh, is considered to be one of the great kind of uh, meditation teachers of Thailand. Now I'm not sure if he's alive anymore, um, but I got got to meet him when uh, when I had the, the very fortunate chance to go to different of the foremost meditation monasteries in Thailand and uh, to meet with the teachers, speak with them, learn what they're teaching. And uh, so he was teaching this kind of this kind of concentration where you make concentration very, very small. And this was actually using an image of the Buddha. Um, and so now venerable children might immediately understand, oh, I know which tradition this is, uh, perhaps. Uh, using an image of the Buddha to make concentration, like make it as small as you can possibly imagine. Smaller, as, as small as you can possibly imagine, down to the tiniest, and then like bigger, 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 like this. Oh, I didn't mention. First you're supposed to sit and you place, as we did in the beginning of the meditation, it's like the idea of the image of the, the Buddha. You place your own body inside that. And, wow, Tarawadans are doing that? 
my goodness, what's going on? <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> um, so uh, you place your in the image of your own body within the within the image of the of the Buddha, and uh, then you know make very very small like that, and then make bigger 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 and like to regular size, and then bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger out till you know out till the boundary disappears, and the sense then becomes boundless and like including absolutely everything that is perceivable or conceivable, and then the direction is then go beyond that. Go means all the way out there, so like go beyond. That's very similar to the meditation on the four immeasurables. When we're asked to expand the loving-kindness, our sense of loving-kindness, and then to expand that, we often work with, you know, the four quarters. And so, you know, pervading, starting from one small spot in the body and spreading out and then pervading one quarter and then the, what is it, the, the second quarter, the third quarter, the fourth quarter. So you've got north, south, east, west of the entire entire world and everything everything in all of those directions covered plus above below and then all around you go all around clockwise all around and then all directions at once spreading out into you know infinity and you're asked then to 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 let your imagination go out to the point where it no longer sticks where it no longer crystallizes on any kind of, to me it seems like a kind of crystallization on any kind of perception. It's like the sense of radiance or, or beams, you know, it even disappears in that. And you get to the level that's very similar to the fourth jhana. Yes? Or even the, the formless, the formless jhanas, or formless jhanas. Um, yeah? So, like infinite space, infinite consciousness, boundless, infinite, and the mind mind becoming like that. And then with this meditative practice, then very consciously, you know, with, with that mind, then very consciously coming back. Back, 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 back. And it's like with everything, with with everything conceivable, perceivable, all back, 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 until you have, then it's like this body is back within the, the image of the, the Buddha and your idea of Buddha, uh, containing everything. So like the whole world contained within, within this body and then bringing it down again, down to like, seems like a single atom or a single subatomic particle or as small as you can imagine. And then, then you're asked to break through that and it, there's an inversion that happens there because right there and the smallest that we can imagine then that smallest becomes the largest it's also infinite yeah so this is a very interesting thing about it and what i mean about the focus because when one does that it's like if you've gotten upset about something and then you walk out up on the hill and then you see the vastness of the sky and whatever you're bound up in in your body and your feelings and the, your your perception and your concept to how you fabricated the whole thing and you see the vastness of the sky and you feel the vastness of the land and you're like oh. 
and it unbinds and releases and you know, the sense of the elements and your, your everything that's you is intermingled with the elements and the elemental properties. You're not separate anymore. You're not at war anymore. You're not in conflict with anybody or anything anymore. You're all a part of it. It's come back to peacefulness and easefulness again. I, uh, what was that all about, right? <laughs> I was crazy. <laughs> Uh, getting all bind up, bound up, getting all bound up and can conflicted about stupid things. <laughs> and, and how did I do that? And what happened? You know. And then you can then then when you're not in the in, you're not in the heat of it, you're not in the in the either the cold lockdown or the the boiling furnace of it anymore. Because I see for you know for for people sometimes they have the boiling furnace characteristic and sometimes they have the cold lockdown characteristic with getting angry. The anger isn't always hot. Many of the women that I know, anger is like going cold, 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 ice, cold. All withdraws from the fingers, withdraws from everything. Face will become white, drawn in. You look at some suddenly looks like hungry ghost, you know. And all energy is just drawn into the core right there at the heart and the gut <laughs> and and cold. So whether it's the cold lockdown or whether it's the boiling boiling furnace, so I'll see look at the angry people and she and eyes are red and face is red and could be steaming and eyes are bulging out and like the veins are going blonk blonk and the heart's going bang 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 and all of this and so whether it's whether it's that one my goodness and just from ideas you know wow <laughs> just from like I didn't like the way he said that <laughs> and, and how many people have heart attacks from these things I've heard that the people who die in their sleep, large majority are dying from the heart attacks. And there's this, there's this guess in contemporary psychology that they're dreaming and they're remembering something like he said, <coughs> and, and they have a heart attack and they die in their sleep. You know? Because, and, and sometimes it's not even that they're remembering something, sometimes it's just a dream fabrication. Just because there's this energy and, and you know, they don't have the time and space or haven't allowed or haven't made, I don't want to say they don't have it because we all have unlimited time and space. But the way they fabricated them, their self of their, was it sense of their self and their lives feel like don't have time, don't have space to be able to deal with these underlying, underlying emotions, unresolved, these unresolved things. So they're held there and, and then, you know, brought up by something during the day that can't be looked at and is pushed down and then held and then not coming home and meditating and seeing it and releasing it and like working, working it out in whatever way they, they like to meditate or to see and know and to release the things, you know, but going to bed with that. Oh, what could be more dangerous? Yes, people say they'd like to die in their sleep, but do you really want to, do you really want to die in your sleep for that? I don't think so. <laughs> to me, that sounds, seems like, oh, that seems so pitiful. That seems so sorry, you know. Maybe they got upset, but you know, I think somebody probably loves them. <laughs> and <laughs> why throw throw away? How how sorry to throw away a life in which so much, so much energy, so much time, so much education, so much food. If we think about who would be the youngest person in this room, 
youngest body. Really? Tim? No. Venerable Jumpel? No. Michael? <laughs> now, if we think about the recycling of elements, <laughs> who would be youngest? <laughs> Anyhow, conventionally, conventionally, how old are you? So this body, 27 since the big, ah, if there was that, yeah, and stamp on the birth certificate. <laughs> we, know, we know the body was alive before that. Not sure, yet according to the convention of when it starts. And this is another one of the funny things. It's like, when does life start? When does it end? Now, humanity has been around for a very long time, and yet we just keep a, a changeable convention about when is birth, when is death, what is it. So, um, how old? Um, 27. Yourself? Just turned 27. 61. 61, oh. Um, so, let's see, even the youngest body in this room, I just try to imagine, I had this image of, if you imagine all the food that you've ever eaten in your life, I wonder if it would fill, <laughs> if it would fill this room, <laughs> or like how big of a pile it would be out, uh, out on the, out on the mountainside, this, uh, this food, these food bodies, yes, <laughs> and if we took then all of the waste, and we're to collect that together in a, in a big pile as well. All of the liquid in a big tank and you know, all, of, all of these things. But who's to say who is, who is older or younger, actually? I think I, I properly wouldn't say. Uh, these bodies are made out of, as far as I understand science, maybe I've got it wrong, but like the stardust of billions of galaxies. I don't know how many universal eons of expansion and contraction, so I don't know which body is uh, which body is older. Uh, in fact, uh, changing each moment, recycling, recycling. If we look at that, if we look at that process, also seems like for me, if I look at it, then the mind starts to starts to spread out, and it starts to go to like what's called an imponderable or practically an imponderable means about the karma of of all of all of this stuff because even if you think about one body in this regard then it connects into everybody and and everything else and it spreads out and it spreads out and until you can't you know it's like you can't track it you can't trace it anymore yeah spreads out to, to infinitude and back down again into the very, very smallest and into the very smallest out into this infinitude again, yes? Birth and death just being conventions in a way for we know birth is not when life begins, right? We're not sure in our contemporary society when life does begin. I know it's a hot debate. When does life begin? That's an interesting question. When does it begin? Where does it begin? We have to look back, back, and it starts spreading out. Uh, or when does it end? Now, for my own, for my own grandma, uh, my maternal grandma, I got to be together with her when she passed away. 
and uh, she had a pacemaker. So uh, I came to be with her when she was passing away and um, very, very clear. Uh, in fact, it's really interesting because uh, how many of you have ever pulled up a plant that was rooted in the ground? It's like a moderate-sized plant, and uh, one that you can't just pull out really easily, but you have to, you have to give some pulling. And uh, you give some pulling to it, and uh, there's the point where there's this pop. And it's not that it's completely out yet, but it's like the the firm establishment of the root and all of the all of the subroots in that place is that's been that's been deeply shifted deeply moved. Now if you left the plant there at that point and didn't do any more then the ground would come in again and oftentimes those plants can reestablish themselves. It's like if you've transplanted something, yeah? You put the soil again, reestablishes. But that pop moment there where that separation happens between the the root and the the ground in which it's in, then you know if you're taking out the plant then you feel like, "Oh, I've nearly got it." Right? Actually, it's not done yet. The Buddha used this as an equation with uh, stream entry. Not done yet, but you know at that point that it's sure. Okay? And then a little bit more and a little bit, and surely you're going to, if you keep making effort with it, it's gonna, then it's going to come out. And you've got it, you've got it out. Yeah? And uh, so I've done that before. And I, so I know what that feels like in the body, bodily, when you're doing that, yeah? And what kind of sense there is in that. And so with my grandma, then there was a moment. It's like almost everyone else then went to have dinner. And just me and my auntie were there together with her, and I felt that pop, distinctly felt that pop. It's like the root root has become separated, yeah? And I, I told my auntie, I think she's going to be passing away soon. So my auntie was then going to go to the side and try to call my mom and try to call the others. She says, come back from dinner, get back over here right away, she's going to be passing away. So she went then to the back of the, you know, side back of the hospital room and I went over then to be next to my grandma. And then I thought about this, you know, what is it? I told my grandma, what you are is not bound by form, not bound by feelings, not bound by perceptions, not bound by fabrications, not bound by consciousness, unbound with regards form, unbound with regards feelings, and went through that a second time just a little bit different and just coming to the consciousness part, then it's like with the plant when you, then you have it up, right, like that. Except for a little bit different because imagine the plant disappears and your body disappears and the hands disappear and all of that, so it just goes like that. So you, you've done that and then it all disappears, yeah? And so then that's what, that's what happened with my grandma at that time. And she, she passed away right then and there, to my mind. And then I said, you know, 
come come back over here to my auntie <laughs> and, my, and she's I think she's she's passed away come back over here and uh, and she's like oh you know they're they're said they're in the midst of dinner and <laughs> like this and and then she uh, like her eyes were open like that but she has the pacemaker in so the heart monitor is there, and she's hooked up to all this stuff, so the pacemaker is still going boom, 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 although her eyes are open and empty, and moment by moment you can see, like, the body seems like it starts, like, cooling, even though the pacemaker is working, yeah? But it seems like cooling and, and some kind of stiffening or something, and, uh, uh, and then also our mouth fell open uh, and so the eyes are back and back and open like that not not seeing anything and uh, you know, my my auntie also yep yep she's gone <laughs> and, <laughs> and both of us very very clear about that and so then we called the we called the hospital staff and you know said you know she she passed away like three minutes ago and they said no <laughs> 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 he said, well, why not? And they said, because the doctor's not here. <laughs> you have to, <laughs> when the doctor gets here, that's when the death certificate can be signed, and that's when she dies. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't realize that. <laughs> well, where's the doctor? <laughs> he said, the doctor's on vacation. You know, she was... <laughs> She was, she was on this on this prescription of morphine that she was supposed to pass away within nine days. So the doctor it was only the third day, and the doctor has gone on vacation and isn't going to be back for several more days. <laughs> well, this is a hospital. Don't you have any other doctors? <laughs> I think, you know, it would be nice. It was seeming kind of creepy. She seems like the body is dead, and there's still this boom, 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 boom is going on. I asked, can we turn that off? They said, no. <laughs> that can only be done by the doctor. <laughs> I'm like, that's kind of weird. It's not all right to turn it off, and no, can't do it. So we have to follow the rules. <laughs> and this is what the rules, this is what the law is. Doesn't get turned off until the doctor comes. And well, how about another doctor? Okay, we'll try to call the doctor. So they got the doctor, and the doctor was out golfing. But they managed to get the doctor on the golf course. And then, <laughs> so this is conventions, yes? This is convention. Uh, so you get, <laughs> and it seems crazy sometimes. <laughs> especially if you start to think about it. Uh, and so managed to get the doctor on the golf course, and the doctor then gave permission for another doctor uh, to be able to, to come in and to, you know, to do the death certificate stuff and to turn off the, the pacemaker. The whole thing ended up taking like two and a half hours to process during that time and it, for me at, at that time I had this kind of uh, kind of wild uh, no, I don't know <laughs> uh, rebellious uh, kind of uh, fabrication about conventions <laughs> like this is crazy just turn the damn thing off <laughs> she's she's gone <laughs> body is dead and but you know that's that's often our marker right that's often the marker
is when the, when the breath stops for her, there's a ventilator and there's the pacemaker and so breath hasn't stopped, heart hasn't stopped. What's dead? Right? I mean, according to the convention, the convention of it, yeah? Then I learned about Chinese medicine and like the liver pulse stops much, much later. Takes a long time, long time. In fact, it's quite a, you know, quite a process. And I know from near-death experience, also consciousness can go out and like be up above and around, and also can come back. And you know, all these things that we we use, what is it? We use the conventions for these things just to have something to to determine it. I'm not sure why we exactly think that we need death certificates or like time of birth or time of death. I don't know. But to realize, oh, these things are conventions that we've made that we've made up, right? It's like twenty four hours. Well not exactly. It's not actually, yeah. But we we just made it up. And to me this is really helpful to realize. These are things that we've just made up. They're ideas that are just made up, that we're holding together for particular purposes. If they don't match that purpose, maybe we don't need to. In fact, if wisdom if wisdom is present, maybe we don't need to do that. But they're just just things that we made up. Uh, like time to, you know, know what time to come for the Dhamma talk together, right? Or they were using the moon before, and okay, when the moon is full, you know, it's time to come together. And uh, is it because of something innate or essential in the full moon or the new moon? Moon, uh, but just just as something something that we can can understand together and hold together more or less. Although it's so, you know, do we actually have agreement about these things? When does life begin? When does death actually happen? What is it? Is there any real, actually, really, really commonly held, true, true, agreed upon idea about it? No. It's just, uh, just, I mean, just, just make up, make up this convention about these things, and um, and we start to look at all of the particulars where this is true. You know, where where are the things that this is true, and how much does it uh, does it not actually, you know, does it not actually? I mean, there's not an essential uh, reality in the in the convention itself. And the reality is, as the Buddha said, however you conceive of it, the reality is ever otherwise. Yeah? And yet conception. Conception. Yeah. But these things exist in a kind of, uh, to my mind anyhow, it's like depending on how you, depending on how you focus, how you focus, how you frame, they exist in a harmony with each other. It's like with the camera and bringing the focus in and the, the framing around it. Does that actually affect? Does it affect the reality of what's there in any way? It has absolutely no effect on it, does it? But it's something that we can do, we can see, we can think about, we can talk about, and we can use skillfully. Well, how we frame things and then how we choose to show them or share them with others, how we frame them, how we choose to hold them ourselves. That's something we choose. It can just be happening according to conditioning. It can be just like a runaway train 
out of control, you know, just happening according to, you know, whatever is the predominant conditioning that's been activated and you're reacting, I mean, the conditions are, are, are reacting and all of that. Or, or there can be the, the, choiceful, the choiceful process in it. The choice in framing. How, how, how are you going to see it? How are you going to hold it? The choice, choicefulness in how is this going to be shared in terms of what your purpose is. Purposeful, purposeful choicefulness. Yeah? With regards mental fabrications, with regards verbal fabrications, with regards how we conceive of and use these bodies. Yeah? Choiceful, purposeful, conventional. Yeah? That frame is, would you call it a convention or not? I would say it also partakes of ultimate reality. Undifferentiated from anything else in one way. In another way, just according to our application of mind. We can draw it, we can see it, we can use that, can use it. Well, how will I see this? How will I hold it? In what context? Yeah? The framing. It's use of convention. Yeah? Use of particulars and in interrelationship. How will I share? How will I share this? Wise response or wise initiative in, in action. What is blessed? What's beneficial? What's harmless? What's freeing? What's liberating? What's skillful? Wholesome peaceful, wise, liberating, leading to liberation. Knowing our faculties, knowing our abilities, amazing abilities that we have. It's amazing faculties that we have with these bodies and minds. The amazing things that we're they're built into this whole, what is it, bio, no, uh, neurobiological, neuropsychological system amazing faculties there that can either just be like, you know, you're born with it, maybe it's developed a little bit during life, maybe not, all, not at all, maybe just some branch of the system is turned on and the rest of it's never used. These amazing systems that we have that can make it so a human being can experience terrible pain and suffering, even deadly pain and suffering, by our own imagination, by our own conception of things, or can experience, I said, wonderful states, wonderful, blessed, fantastic, beautiful states peaceful and liberating states, 
all the chemicals are there. We've got all these taps in this body that are just turned on by ideas, just turned on by a thought. Just by that thought, then that tap gets turned on and these, you know, the feel good <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and all of these, all of these capacities, all of these capacities get turned on. I was thinking about these glands even in the body, like, you know, that are supposed to make relics. <laughs> if the body, you know, the idea is that these, that because this is where you look for particular kinds of relics, especially from, from here and from here, right? And uh, supposed to look different for who has actually activated this part of their system or not. That gets activated and gets bigger, yes? I, I've heard from the people working with, um, what is it, working with, what's it called when you cut up the human bodies and you know, look at everything inside them? Autopsy, yes, thank you. Uh, in fact, our, our former uh, hermitage steward over this last summer, now she's uh, in, a, in a class and they're doing autopsy. And so for some people, it's like these, these parts of the body are just like these shriveled up dead things. You know, these shriveled, shriveled hard thing. Yeah? And for others, like a living organ. <laughs> Uh, larger and not shriveled up and hard like that. So this is the equipment that we're all born with. All born with this equipment, yeah? How much are we going to, uh, to activate it? How much are we going to, uh, to turn it on and, and let, it, let it go to work in terms of our, in terms of our meditation? Uh, how much are we going to manifest our full, uh, for full capability? as human beings. Yeah? This is something that I really love. It's one of the reasons why I came into this way uh, myself, is uh, with, with idea about this, and thinking, ah, oh, in the Buddhist teaching, I think there may be something there for this, yes? <laughs> this ancient, ancient science of body and mind. Yeah? Uh, and the wish to actualize what can be actualized in this potential of, of human birth, human life in this path. But the idea is so important. The concept. And do we take the frame away? When we build the frame knowing consciously we're building it, it's not an ultimate reality. It's a conventional one that's being put in place in a particular way for a particular purpose. For ourselves, to support ourselves on the path, for interrelationship with, with one another, for what is blessed, wholesome, peaceful, beneficial, sublime, worthy, worthy worthy of the mountain of food, worthy of the great pile of compost, <laughs> worthy of all the streams from the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, <laughs> worthy of all that that's been washed down the drain <laughs> and all that's flown away and uh, become rivers and streams and uh, off into the atmosphere and, uh, you know, recycled, 
again through, throughout this universe, worthy in its coming together as a human body and uh, uh, host to mind for this period of, uh, of time. Yeah. Worthy of our lunch. <laughs> and for you all, your dinner. <laughs> uh, please don't waste it. Don't waste a single bite of it. Don't waste a single drop of it. Please don't waste a single breath. You know, for someone who starts having labored breathing, it's like, oh, each breath, each breath, each moment, uh, so precious. What can you do with this moment? Yeah, right now. Mm. We don't know how long it's going to last. I don't, does anybody here know? Sometimes people have intuition about it. I heard before about uh, the friend of the friend who uh, a couple days before he died, he saw the guy walk up in the red coat and disappeared. He thought, I'm going to die. And then the next day, he saw the guy walk up in the red coat and disappeared. <laughs> like guy in a red coat <laughs> where did he get that from <laughs> but he knew what it meant and sure enough then he went and he, uh, he he talked to his advisor his spiritual advisor he said I'm going to die will you will you care for the things this is what I hope will happen can you see this for me and why do you think you're going to die do you have some sickness no but yesterday I saw the guy with the red coat <laughs> And, and today I saw the guy with the red coat, and I'm pretty sure, I, I know, I know in myself, I know what that means. I know what that means. It's like he didn't have this fancy idea of angel of death, like big, high, and white with big wings, or this kind of thing, or, you know, the big one with the big mouth and the long teeth, and, and that kind of, not, not like that, but it was the guy in the red coat who disappeared, and sure enough, the next day he died. So he wasn't aware of having anything in particular, and uh, you know, like that. So he had a sense of it two days beforehand. Sometimes people do. Hopefully all of us have a sense of it. Yes, we made these clocks, <laughs> even without sunrise and sunset, day by day. How, how are you using your mind? this opportunity of body and mind in whatever is being done in every conscious moment of awareness. For me, I feel like, let it not be wasted. I wouldn't want to waste a single bit of it, not a single part of it, to go into darkness, unconsciousness, unknowing, not aware. So, uh, I think this, uh, this ends my little bit of reflection in which I uh, try to uh, include several of the things that, uh, that were mentioned about the, uh, the Brahma-viharas, a little bit about the four immeasurables, a little bit about the foundations of, uh, foundations of mindfulness as requested, <laughs> a little bit about a few, a few other things, and uh, mostly just the, the, reflection on the reflection on the Dhamma teaching. Uh, that we have been receiving, yes, uh, on some aspect, just some aspect of it, and how it interrelates with with these practices, with these other things. Uh, so this ends my reflection, and um, I I don't know, but uh, I hope 
that there's a little bit of time uh, remaining for Q&A or uh, talking, talking a little bit about it. Would there be? 610. <gasps> no. If there's not, there's not. This, I mean, we make it up, right? Yes. These are the conventions we hold for all of our benefit. I see. What? Original idea, which is subject to change. Mm. Mm. I'm, I'm happy to do whatever you'd like. Uh, somehow I was thinking that the meal was at 6.30, so excuse me for thinking uh, differently, differently than how it was placed on the schedule. If you'd like to, certainly. I'd be happy to do that. Mm. So, would you join me in a, in a dedication? Uh, I don't know how many of you may, may know this or have, uh, have encountered it. Through the goodness that arises from our practice, may our spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, our mothers, our fathers, and our relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world. May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, May all beings receive the blessings of our lives. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from our practice and through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until we realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May we have upright minds with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken our resolve. The Buddha is our excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is our noble Lord. The Sangha is our supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled.